Our second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. If you'd like to follow along, this can be found on page 57 of your Pew Bibles. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During this season of Lent, we are exploring the concepts of lost and found as they relate to our faith and our experiences of God. Today we have these two biblical texts, and they take place in one of the Bible's most significant locations, the wilderness. In the Hebrew Bible alone, the word for wilderness is used 300 times. This is an important place for God's people, and it's a place that represents questioning, suffering, wandering, learning, and being profoundly lost. The passage that Mary Kay read from Deuteronomy, in that passage the people are reminded that they will need to remember the lessons that they learn in the wilderness once they have finally gotten through the wilderness and settled in the promised land. No matter how comfortable God's people become, they cannot forget We cannot forget that we are shaped by wilderness. We are a people defined by these experiences of being lost. Like the Israelites, Jesus did not decide to go to the wilderness. Few of us ever do. He was compelled there, led by the Holy Spirit. This is usually how it happens, sometimes because of a crisis But often, for no discernible reason, we find ourselves lost in the wilderness where, like Jesus, we wrestle with our identity, with who we are, not just in our own eyes or in the eyes of the world, but who we are in the eyes of God. 
In the wilderness, we discover what's left when everything else falls away, and we are alone with God. Cheryl Strayed is the author of the memoir, Wild, her account of hiking 1,100 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail completely alone when she was 26 years old. In the years just before her adventure, Strayed's mother lost a fierce and fast battle with cancer, and the grief sent Strayed reeling into addictive behaviors that eventually ended her marriage. She was living alone in a studio apartment and waiting tables when she realized she had to do something to change her life. She was haunted by something her mother had told her shortly after her cancer diagnosis. I've never been in the driver's seat of my own life. I've always been somebody's daughter or wife or mother. Strait had witnessed firsthand how her mother's identity was totally constructed around other people. First, an abusive husband, and then the three children that she raised as a single parent. Strayed was determined she wasn't going to let this happen to her. She would not be defined by such roles and relationships. And part of what she sought out on the trail was a sense of radical aloneness. Maybe without anybody else around she could get a better sense of who she was. But she was surprised to discover that even alone on the trail with no one else around, she had little control. In fact, what felt profound to her about her time in the wilderness was how few choices she had and how often she had to do the things she least wanted to do. How there was no escape or denial In her words, no numbing it down with a martini or covering it up with a roll in the hay. Most of the ways we define ourselves fall into two main categories, who we are and what we do. Who we are is a question we usually answer based on our relationships with other people, our spouses, parents, children, friends. What we do relates to the gifts and skills we use in the world. So when someone asks, what do you do? We say, I'm a nurse, a lawyer, a teacher, a student, a musician. Immediately before the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, he has his true identity publicly confirmed. After his baptism in the Jordan, a voice from heaven says, This is my son, the beloved. Regardless of how Jesus defined himself, who he was, what he had come to do, that moment was pivotal. It was a crisis of sorts. Because when that voice from heaven revealed Jesus' true identity, everything else about him that he was the son of Mary and Joseph, a carpenter from Nazareth, all of that fell away. In her book, Acedia and Me, Kathleen Norris writes about the ups and downs of her marriage. One of the lowest moments came when her husband disappeared for nearly two days, leaving behind what could only be interpreted as a suicide note. 
Fortunately, he was found alive, and with a long regimen of therapy and medication, he recovered. But it was a crisis point in Kathleen's life, truly a wilderness season. During this time, she learned that the word crisis comes from a Greek word that means sifting, like sifting flour or sifting through the sand in a river to look for gold. Kathleen writes, Even in my distress, I sense that there might be a purpose to our present upheaval, to jostle, sift, and sort things until only what was most vital would remain. Lost in the wilderness, as he sifted through his life and his labels, Jesus found his true identity, the one declared by God at his baptism, you are my son, the beloved. And that is when the devil showed up, tempting Jesus to take this identity as God's chosen one, God's beloved, and use it for his own sake. Create food out of rocks. Take advantage of his association with the powerful by letting angels rescue him from danger. Secure glory for himself by ruling the world. If you are the son of God, the devil begins going right after that newfound identity. If you are the son of God, the devil is essentially saying, if God loves you so much, why should you ever be hungry? If God is so great and you are God's beloved, can't you do whatever you want without getting hurt? If God is truly God and you are God's chosen, then shouldn't you be all-powerful and universally adored? Now, when I say the devil, I'm not necessarily talking about a guy with horns. I'm talking about that voice, that power that lurks in and around all of us. That power didn't come at Jesus when he was busy working miracles or preparing to teach or spending time with those in great need. It came to Jesus just when he realizes who he is and whose he is. At some point, every one of us who has heard God's call will spend time in the wilderness. For it is only when we are lost and alone that we have a chance to unlearn the lies our culture feeds us. The lie that we can earn our worth through achievement Success at work or school, the perfect family, material wealth, the degree from the most prestigious college, the lie that we can keep ourselves safe and secure with the right alarm system, with a big enough retirement account, by building a wall to keep strangers out, the lie that we can hide away our shame and fear and anger, our messiness and mistakes, and present a polished self to the world, either in person or on social media, 
And if we do that well enough, then none of the pain will affect us. These are the temptations the devil offers us when we remember who and whose we are. And they are lies. Everyone. In Anna Quinlan's novel, Every Last One, the main character, Mary Beth, is a mother of three teenagers and the wife of a kind and stable doctor. She has close friends in their small town, and she runs her own successful business. But at times, she finds herself crying for no discernible reason. I have no excuse for my tears, she says. If I were pressed, I would have to say they are the symptom of some great loneliness, as free-floating and untethered to everyday life as a tornado is to the usual weather. It whirls through, ripping and tearing, and then I'm in the parking lot, wiping my eyes, replacing my sunglasses, heading into the supermarket to buy tonight's dinner. If anyone asks how things are, I say what we all say, fine, good, great, wonderful. As we spend time in the wilderness, searching for a way out or a way through, we learn that we do not have to say what we all say. In the wilderness, hopelessly lost, we can finally admit out loud, I am tired. I am sad. I am lonely. I'm scared. Of course, once we finally allow ourselves to admit that, the devil is likely to show up, tempting us with questions we cannot answer. If you are God's beloved, why would you ever feel tired or sad or lonely or scared? And then the lies start all over again because we want them to be true. The devil, the great deceiver, will try to convince us that there are shortcuts to satisfaction and security and acclaim that will take all of the bad feelings away. The devil is what tells us we can get out of the wilderness and find lasting happiness for ourselves by using our God-given identity for our own good. In that very moment when we realize that we belong to God, no matter who we are or what we do or who we know, the devil is what tempts us to use that identity for ourselves alone, which is to trade it away for passing pleasures. But our true identity as God's beloved is the one thing the devil cannot touch. Jesus leaves the wilderness after these temptations secure in his identity. We know this because we see it in everything he says and does next. He leaves the wilderness to be a truth teller, speaking truth to the lies of his culture and time and calling us to speak truth to the lies of ours. Again and again in his ministry, Jesus defies the dominant messages, the messages that say who is in and who is out, who is clean and who is unclean, who is acceptable and who is irredeemable. 
Again and again, Jesus loves the people who need it the most. Those consumed with shame or fear, those who are sick and outcast, those who do not fit the mold of acceptability. Jesus finds us who are lost in the wilderness and then calls us out of the wilderness to do the same work he did, loving God's people and sharing the good news that all of us are God's beloved. After President Kennedy was assassinated, there was a member of a church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who called the pastor and suggested that the one thing the church might do to partially redeem this tragedy would be to provide Marina Oswald with an opportunity to improve her English. The widow of the accused assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, had only been in the U.S. for a short time. She was Russian by birth. Given what had happened, she was also the recipient of all the hatred and anger over her husband's alleged deed. With the cooperation of the FBI and others, Marina got to Ann Arbor She lived with a family from the church who knew that their identity as God's beloved was the same as everyone else's, including Marina's. Eventually, the church put out a small press release explaining what they were doing, and the mail poured in. Some letters pointed out how unpatriotic this action was. Others called the church foolish and un-American. Others suggested it was profoundly unwise, a stain on our honored faith. The pastor and the elders of the church answered every letter, and each response included the same line. The one thing you have not shown us is that what we have done is unlike Jesus Christ. As a community of those who seek to live from our foundational identity as God's beloved, we can be a place where people come to get found, to discover and claim or remember and reclaim their true identity, We can be a community that does not perpetuate the world's lies, the ones that say we are defined by who we love and what we do. We can be a community that invites people, no matter how lost they may feel, to come into this space where we nourish one another with the truth about who we are, with acceptance in spite of whatever mistakes we have made, with compassion for the challenges we all face, with love for every person who walks through our doors, love that reminds them, even as it reminds us of who and whose we are. Amen.